Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk. Discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. celebrated actress, author and screenwriter Dame Joan Collins boasts an incredible career which spans back as far as seven decades. Making her stage debut at the young age of nine in the Henrik Ibsen play A Doll's House, it was clear that Joan was destined to entertain. This was proven to be true when she had her big break in the controversial 1952 movie I Believe in You, where her role as a juvenile delinquent gave her the nickname Britain's Bad Girl, a label which stayed with her for the rest of her career. Her new book, My Unapologetic Diaries, sees her most recent diary entries from the years 1986 to 2006 all transcribed and put down on the page. Starting just as Dynasty came to an end, her words reveal her honest fears about obtaining future roles, celebrity gossip from a host of glamorous parties from L.A. to Saint-Tropez, and run-ins with some of the most famous names, including Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, way before they came to power. I started off when I spoke to her earlier, asking her if she was ever planning to do anything with her tapes or voice diaries. No, I've been making diaries, Marielle, since I was 12 or 13. I had little diaries from Smithsons, they were called Collins, and I wrote in teeny little writing. Interesting things like got up, went to school, uh, came home, (laughs) had bacon and eggs, helped Jackie with her homework. I mean, fascinating entries like that. So um, I've always dabbled with diaries. And then when I finished Dynasty, on the last day of Dynasty, I had this little tape recorder that I had been taking around to learn my lines in the back of the car because I was driven to the set. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? And I stood in the middle of my teeny weeny weeny dressing room. I mean, about the size of most people's, you know, fireplaces. And I thought, oh, I'll talk about this. So I stood there and I, and I spoke and I said, last day of Dynasty, blah, 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 in this tiny dressing room where I have, you know, dressed and done interviews and put my makeup on and had my lunch for nine years. 
but now it's Goodbye Dynasty and Hello the British Theatre because I was going to do Private Lives in London. And I was very, very excited about that because I'd always wanted to do Private Lives. So then the next entries are the Private Lives, which are the auditions, the discussions, the lunches, talking about directors and who's going to be the stars. And so it's quite fascinating and it covers a wide spectrum of everything from, you know, career, career ups and downs. Which, uh, there were many downs, Marielle, I can tell you, a lot, uh, to many fun parties and events and premieres and meeting all kinds of people from Gregory Peck and Frank Sinatra to working with Elizabeth Taylor and Shirley MacLaine. And it, it's uh, very fascinating. And a lot of my friends who bought it have said, oh, my God, I hate you. I, ha- I was up until two o'clock reading this book. <laughs> now, Joan, yeah, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Dynasty. And, and as you said, you, you, you were playing that part fabulously, uh, kind of fab- fabulous grotesque, if you will, um, for, for nine whole years. Really? And you thought she was grotesque? I thought she was grotesquely fabulous because she was, she was bad. I mean, she was, she was wicked, no, wasn't she? she? Wasn't. The um, bad one was Blake. He was a murderer. Yes. You know, no. Nobody ever seemed to realize he, at the beginning of the whole show, he killed the lover of his son. And there was no question that he was a murderer. And Alexis knows this, and she's out to get revenge because he banished her. He he would not allow her near her children. There were a lot of very good things about Alexis. And she was, she and I, I will defend her to my dying day because I liked her as a person. Yes, she did some bad things, but on the whole, she was behaving like most men behave, most big businessmen uh, behave. I and love that th- is I, very I, ruthlessly, ruthlessly. I love mm-hmm. the way that you you leap to her defense like that and absolutely justified, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, you know, I, you have to think back and think that you're watching it in that period of time before perhaps yeah. we've reconsidered how women were represented on screen and so on. Do you think that that was a big element in, 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 in Alexis is that she, she's actually a very contemporary manifestation of, uh, you know, what women should be allowed to behave like? Yes, I think she was a role model. Absolutely. Because she did what men did. She did it in business. She did it in life. She did it sexually. And uh, she did everything exactly the way she wanted it. And she would answer to no man, no man, no woman. The only people she would answer to were her children. And she had a really soft spot for them. And she was a really good dresser. <laughs> she definitely was that. Yeah. As are you, do you know, I nearly crashed my car one day driving down Beach and Place. I saw you standing on the pavement and I could even tell it was you before I saw your face. You were standing there and it was only about midday in this incredible black trouser suit, very shapely and just gorgeous with a huge black hat on and big dark sunglasses. And I thought she is the most sophisticated woman in the universe. Oh, <laughs> I mean, how sweet. <laughs> Probably outside San Lorenzo waiting for a taxi or something. Exactly yeah, that. Players. Yes. Well, that's very kind of you. I love clothes. I love dressing well. Um, you, know, you should see me now. I'm not exactly dressed well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe I've got this image that you kind of waft out of bed wearing silk robes and, and, and I don't know. Mm. You know, no. <laughs> no not, not quite the right image, it's, but it's fine. Keep that in your head. 
I'm fine with that. Um, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about um, Alexis because uh, the way you describe her sounds almost word for word the same as your beloved late sister Jackie would have described the heroines of all of her books. And it yes. feels like it feels like um, you both lived through an era where you had to push very, very hard to be accepted as the rather strong career women that you both were and, and perhaps was slightly dismissed for, you know, she was dismissed as the one with the big hair and the huge shoulder pads and, and you were always the wicked one in, 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 in yeah. movies and, and on television. Do you think that there is an, an element of that? Oh, I think there was a huge element of that. You know, um, I grew up, um, you know, as a young, young girl in the 50s and, and went to Hollywood when I was 20 years old. And everybody was, you know, so much older than me. I mean, I was working with people like uh, Gregory Peck and Frank Sinatra and all of the directors were much older because they had come from uh, even Paul Newman was quite a bit older. And um, I remember in one of my first films and I was sort of pushed around a lot. I would stand over here and then I would hear one, one day I heard an electrician say, OK, I'm up here. Put the light on the girl. And I said, hello, my name's Joan. Do you have to call me the girl? And uh, it was such a dismissive thing. And they kind of scornfully laughed and looked at each other with, oh, who does this little kid think that she is? You know, and I also found this on, on Dynasty, having been in the business for about over 30 years at that point. I figured I knew quite a bit about camera work and lighting and and scripts and everything and there were some directors there that didn't really know their onions so well so I would put my two cents in or three and say well I think no I don't think that I should walk into the room and slam my bag down and start screaming I think that I sh we should do it like this and there was a lot of raised eyebrows and uh why is she being so bossy and now of course you know you have women thank goodness you have women um, you know, you have women producers. Well, you had them then. You had Sherry Lansing and Lily Zanuck. But now you have many, many women directors, almost as many as men now, I think. And women are now as equal on the totem pole of, um, of Hollywood and the filmmaking as are men. At least I, I, I see that from my perspective. What, what do you think instilled in you and your sister, actually, the Colin sisters, the resilience and the, the chutzpah to, to navigate that really extremely sexist world? Both of you at an incredibly young age, both of you in Hollywood, which was, you know, as we've discovered in recent years, an even more predatory place than we might ever have imagined. I don't really know why. I can't give you the answer to that. I think it was something that we were born with. I think we saw our father was a very, very strong man. I mean, he was born in the early part of the 19th century. He was born in 1906 or something. So he was almost a Victorian. And our mother was a very gentle, sweet, domesticated housewife, if you can say that word now, who used to be a dancer, very beautiful. And she was completely controlled by our father. And I think that's something that we saw and we didn't like. And I think without even saying it to each other, we both decided that we were not going to be enthralled to any man, whether it's in business or in life, to that extent, and that we would be our own person. And I think that's what we both did. 
And what was it that, that prompted you to embark on a career as an actress? Oh, from the time I was seven or eight. You know, we come from a show business family. My father was a, a very important agent in, in London. And our uh, house, our flats, we had several, <laughs> were always full of dancers and singers and actors and conjurers. And my grandmother had been a dancer and a singer and a soubrette. And she encouraged me. So I was sent to dancing school when I was uh, three and dancing school. And then I was sent to a a school for stage children when I was about 10. But of course, the war messed all this up. So it wasn't really until after the war when I was 11 that I was able to um, go and really start learning my craft. I went to a school called Cone Ripman which did um, lessons in the morning and dancing and singing and tap dancing in the afternoon. And <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was just, it was just in my veins. You, you had a couple of uh, film roles in the UK, but not so many before you were snapped up by a Hollywood studio and, 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 and put under contract. I wondered what that experience was like for a young girl, you know, traveling to Los Angeles on your own and finding yourself really sort of tied, contracted to this studio. I'm not sure how onerous that still was at the point when you went there. No, it was a tremendous adventure. First of all, I'd made about 10 British films and I was known as Britain's Bad Girl or The Pouting Panther or (laughs) Coffee Bar Jezebel. I was playing baby prostitutes and juvenile delinquents uh, from the time I was 17. So I I was very quite experienced in, you know, the art of filmmaking. Mm. But yes, it was quite terrifying because I was leaving my parents. I was leaving my brother and baby brother and sister and I was going to a new world. But it was a world that I wanted to go to because I'd always been fascinated by Hollywood and Hollywood movies. And so it was very exciting, even though there was I was slightly fearful, but I was quite brave, I think, because when you went to Hollywood in the mid 50s, you had to go to New York. You had to get out of the plane in New York and stay overnight in a hotel and get on another plane to go to L.A. And uh, then I went to L.A. I knew nobody except the um, the makeup man from Land of the Pharaohs, which I'd made in Rome and his wife. But I soon got to know a lot of people because the word gets out that there's a new pretty young girl in town. And believe me, you start getting invited to parties by big, you know, important people like Jack Warner and Ray Stark and uh, young men start calling. It was fascinating. It was amazing. It was incredibly glamorous as well. The uh, the after work, the Saturday night, every Saturday night, there would be uh, somebody would give a major party. Uh, the, the studio heads, the big stars, and uh, it would always be, you know, dress up men in black tie, women in cocktail dresses and mink stoles. And uh, as, you know, 20, 21, I loved it. Was it also intimidating or not? Was it just like, wow, this is exactly what I expected Hollywood to be like and it's lived up to my, uh, you know, my every expectation or were there frustrations as well? I mean, you were quite serious about the acting profession and what you wanted to do. And I imagine that in a way, uh, you know, being so beautiful on the one hand gave you more access than you might have had otherwise, but on the other hand meant that people might not have seen beyond that. 
I think there was certainly an element of, da- uh, 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 of truth in that. Um, I think that if you were a, a very good-looking, considered to be sexy uh, young girl, that people didn't really think that you had a brain or were intelligent or had an opinion. And since I've always had an opinion from the time I was six or even younger, I was often derided. And, as you know, they would be, oh, listen to you, little girl. What do you know about politics? There was quite a bit of, um, who do you think you are, kiddo? Mm. Uh, but I didn't really let that get to me. I, um, I had a certain amount of confidence. And, you know, I also was able to rely on the fact that I thought I had talent as well, even though a lot of people thought, well, she doesn't have talent. She's just got looks. And I thought that was very unfair. But then later on, when I was about oh, 28, I met Vivian Lee. She was doing um, a film with my fiancé at the time. And um, she told me that she was never taken seriously as an actress until her looks began to fade, which is, was called The Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone. And so she, even though she won the Oscar for Scarlet O'Hara, she, was, she wasn't taken seriously as an actress. And there's very few beauties in the cinema who are taken seriously. Now, you know, so many actresses, they deride, you know, wearing glamorous clothes, except when they go on the red carpet, because they consider they won't be taken seriously as an actress or a female actor, as it's supposed to be known now. But I don't say that. And was that true for you as well, do you think, in a way? I mean, as you said at the beginning of this interview, you had careers, ups and downs. You've had a a belly full of them. But, you know, there was a period when you you were making The Stud and so on where you sort of returned full scale to the screens and it felt like you were being allowed to exercise, you know, uh, thespian skills that perhaps you hadn't been allowed to in the past. Well, I wouldn't say there were too many thespian skills in the start in the bitch. Um, I, had I, a few I thought it looked like hard work. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The thespian skills were having to pretend you like making love to certain actors. Uh, and that, that does take a lot of thespian skilling. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, in between what I had done in England before I left, when I was still 18 and 19 years old and under contract to rank, is that I was allowed to go and uh, do the theater, which Mm. was my first love. So every three or four months, I would go to a place called the Q Theater and do a play like um, The Skin of Our Teeth or Claudia and David or The Seventh Veil. And um, so I did these plays and I had a major part in them. And I think I learned my craft and I just knew that I was better than people would say, oh, well, She's very lovely, but her emoting isn't up to par. That kind of um, review I got. But after a while, I decided not to read them. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You don't mind giving people the odd bad review yourself, though, do you? I mean, you don't spare the punches in this book, Rachel. Uh, oh, yeah, Raquel Welch is, you know, not exactly svelte. Um, she's, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, but the, darling, this mm. is nothing to what has been said about me. You know, I could write a book about all the nasty, snide, sarcastic things that have been said about Joan Collins. And what I, I said, and it was said at the time into my private diary, I did say, oh, yes, uh, maybe Sophia Loren's teeth are very big for her face. And I was only saying the truth, but apparently you can't say the truth anymore. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to say somebody's, you know, chubby or skinny or bald or short or anything. Um, It's against the rules. So my book is, that's why I called it The Unapologetic Diaries, because I'm unapologetic about it. I'm saying what a lot of people think, but are frightened to say. And yeah, I talk about some members of the royal family and say that they're boring. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just wonder, having had so many... Not the queen, not the queen. Not the queen and not Diana, actually, who you, who, you, no. who you were very moving about, actually, in the book. Yes. Yes, I, I, I say quite a lot about Diana because I was extremely uh, admiring of her. And I met her early in her marriage when we were at a very grand event in Palm Beach with hundreds of paparazzi and press and uh, black tie people and important mayors and heavens knows, you know, all kinds of people. And I was presented to her in the lineup and she said, because as they were snapping away, she said, oh, my God. She said, don't you ever get tired of this? Is this how do you get used to it? And I said, you just have to, you know, get used to it. It's uh, it's not going to go away, ma'am. And, and uh, then every time we met, she was uh, she would always come over like there's a, a restaurant. I'm sure, you know, it called Harry's Bar. And I used to go there for lunch a lot, and so did she. And she would always come over and say hello. And um, you know, I uh, I was in, she came backstage to see me in um, the uh, the Noel Card play in Private Lives, and was uh, very very charming. 
And I have letters from her as well. So I was very upset when she died, very. And, and you described very poignantly, I thought, I think you saw her in the south of France shortly before she died uh, with Dodie Fired and the two princes. And, and you said she yes. looked so carefree and, and happy. Oh, yes. She was um, on, on the boat. And I was on another friend's boat, um, Valentino, actually, and his partner, Giancarlo, said, oh, my God, uh, we must ask Princess Diana to lunch, uh, to drinks. You know her? I said, yes, I do know her. So he got on a, a little water bike and zoomed over, but because we could see Diana on the yacht and she was having a wonderful, relaxing time and laughing. And I think she was eating grapes or something like that. And Dodie was there. And as soon as he drove into view, two men appeared with machine guns on up a deck and said, go away. And he said, but I want to invite the princess to drinks on Signor Valentino's boat. And they said, no way. They want to be alone. They want to be alone. So, yeah, this story is in my unapologetic diaries. As, and um, also she was spotted the previous week at this little tiny restaurant that we go to that's um, in Provence, not even near Saint-Tropez, but yeah, near, but not near, um, having lunch with Dodie and um, the boys and, and dancing and having a great time. Your life, Joan, has been absolutely chock-a-block, a sort of roller coaster ride through the, the mm. famous of the last five, six, seven decades. And, you yes. know, in a way, I think that we're more obsessed with fame and celebrity now than, than we've ever been. Maybe it just feels like there's just more people in the public eye. I'm not really sure what it is, but do you think that it's kind of downgraded fame? And, 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 and what do you think of fame as a commodity? having been so surrounded by it and, and indeed experienced it yourself all your life? Well, I think, yeah, I think, was it Anne, Andy Warhol who said everybody is going to have the 15 minutes of fame? Um, so many people become famous overnight and uh, then it, it, it goes. I mean, if you look back at who were the top actors and actresses 20 years ago, I think you will find that many of those have completely fallen from view and uh, one of the things you have to know about fame is it ain't gonna last when I was at the top of my game as far as fame was concerned I mean you know I'm very objective about myself so I was on the cover of every magazine practically and I was considered to be the top tv actress in America and a, a reporter said to me so Joan what are you going to do if this all ends and I said it's not a question of if it's a question of when it will end because none of this will last. And I considered myself to be a jobbing actor, actress. And um, I would go on and do, you know, maybe not have the leads in big television series, but um, I will continue to work. And the only way I will continue to work is not to keep grabbing onto fame. So I've been pretty famous most of my life even though for the seven or eight years when I was having children, I totally fell away from private uh, public view. Joan, along with your career highs and lows, you got married five times, I think. Do you think that that's mm -hmm. a result of the times in a way, that you might have married people that you wouldn't necessarily have had you been born, you know, in the 21st century? 
Yes, I think probably. But, you know, people kept on asking me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, the first time was a mistake because I was a virgin. So, you know, if you were a virgin, you you got married. That was the way it was. And then um, the second time I married Anthony Newley, who I really thought I loved. And I was very, very ready to have children. So I had two uh, two, I mean, I had two children and a miscarriage in that time. And um, the third time, and then unfortunately, um, he, um, he became far too fond of the ladies. And um, it was uh, an embarrassment to me mm. for him to be so blatantly and unfaithful. Helpful. And I, yeah, I decided, you know, I'm only 34 years old. Uh, and, you know, why should I stay married to this man who treats me like this? And so that was that was that. But my marriage now to Percy is absolutely perfect. And we're coming up for 20 years next February. I know. I can't believe it. It feels like not that long ago that, that you two uh, got married. And of course, there were so many dissenters. You know, he's he's at least three decades younger than you. And people were incredulous about this. Now, I married a younger man, only seven years younger than me, but I'm all for it. Um, and I wondered if you'd explain perhaps whether that is something that you think is, is, is what works uh, partly in terms of your relationship. I mean, you're incredibly young at heart, Joan Collins. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel, you know, I don't feel my age. Uh, I think one of the things, um, I don't think about it. You know, when I see that number, I think, oh, that's not me. Um, and the fact is that Percy's father was born within two years later than my father at the beginning of the 20th century. So uh, we have a lot uh, of things that are similar in our lives. I mean, you do mention all kinds of people in this book and, and, and you are, uh, you know, as refreshingly frank as you've always been and, and critical. First of all, having had people be critical about you, I wonder if you ever feel guilty. And secondly, do you ever turn up at a glamorous party and see someone <laughs> that, that you've been rude about and think, oh, no? No, because I haven't been rude about anybody. My unapologetic diaries is the first time that it's all gone into print. And I don't think I'm really rude about somebody to say, I mean, when, for example, I talk about the O.J. Simpson trial that was being written about by Dominic Dunn. He he came up to Raquel and me. We were sitting at a dinner and he said, I'm writing this book about O.J. Simpson. And Raquel said, oh, is there a part for me? And I mean, it's not being rude about her. I'm just reporting what she said, which I think was kind of maybe dumb. I don't know. Maybe she didn't know who O.J. Simpson was. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, what I think, and I've read the book several times myself, and I think it's um, it's refreshingly honest. But also the other thing that people have said about it is very, very funny. And a lot of the stories are quite hilarious. And I think we need a bit of fun in this day and age. I think we've got to stop being so woke and saying everybody is so great. Everybody dances so beautifully on every dance show. Everybody, nobody can do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Everybody's, everybody's supposed to be great. 
Yes, I do know exactly what you mean. Um, Joan, yeah. j- just finally, I think that you um, you did work for our prime minister, uh, you know, in a, in a roundabout way for 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 a brief mm. period of time when he became editor of the Spectator. Tell me about um, uh, the young Boris Johnson that you met, who you describe in the book as <laughs> having a hairdo that looks like it had been styled by an egg beater, which I thought was a brilliant yes. description. Uh, well, it was a very a very cultured lunch at the Spectator offices. I had not met Boris Johnson before. And he, I said, so I've now finally met the editor that I'm working for. He has a very loud, booming voice. And he's very funny. And he looks like he combs his hair with a neg beater. Because it was even more wild then. But I mean, that's not being rude. I mean, that's just being, hey, descriptive. Absolutely. That is just descriptive. Mm. Um, and I believe that there are more installments of your diaries yet to come because you're still not, not writing, but recording snippets. Is that right? Um, yes. Well, what I decided to do last March when we were thrown out of a restaurant because they said they're closing down. It's COVID. It's COVID. I thought, oh, I better write a diary about this. This could be interesting. This next three months when we go through this COVID thing. This is what we thought Mm. Uh, will be interesting. Well, it's been a year and eight months or something, and I've been writing practically every day. But this time I've actually been writing it. I've already filled one book. So maybe I'll have, you know, in a couple of years, my my unapologetic COVID diaries. (laughs) I can hardly wait. (laughs) And for a woman who um, has seemed to have spent her entire life going out, what was it like not being able to? Oh, like for everybody else. You know, um, I just did a lot of things. I painted, I drew, I wrote, I talked on the phone, I, I walked around the apartment. Um, I even tried cooking. We, we played poker, we played Scrabble. I managed to amuse myself. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. <laughs>